Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, when he was only three years old, his family had to leave the Philippines and came to America because living under the dictatorship of Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos was impossible. And it is unbelievable that now, all these years later, he is starring in Here Lies Love on Broadway, a musical about the rise and fall of Imelda and Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines. He plays Ferdinand Marcos. His name is Jose Lana, and I'm so honored to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Jose. A-OK. Everyone, my guest today is Jose Lana. Jose currently stars in Here Lies Love on Broadway, the David Byrne and Fat Boy Slim musical. He plays the role of Ferdinand Marcos. He originally created the role many years ago now at the Public Theater. He's been nominated many, many times over for his incredible, incredible performance. Um, he also starred in The King and I at Lincoln Center. Some of his other theater credits include uh, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, El Gato in Wonderland, Rent, Saturn Returns, Oliver, Ballad of Little Joe, and so many more. Some of his film and TV credits are Sex in the City and Hitch. He is a best-selling recording artist on the Viva Philippines label. His voice can be heard on so many beautiful albums. Um, he has lent his talents to so many projects. But I get to talk today to someone who I am going to fangirl all over, Jose <laughs> Lana. Um, I got to see Here Lies Love. I don't even know. I couldn't possibly begin to describe it to anybody. It is such a uniquely special, extraordinary show. I wonder if uh, for the people who won't get to come to New York and see it, um, although there are YouTube clips that you can that are pirated that you guys can see, <laughs> um, can you tell people a little bit about the show, and then we'll deep dive into your role in it and how it came into yeah. your life. Well, you know, so the show is uh, the story of Imelda Marcos, um, told told in a in a disco club setting basically. And David Byrne uh, wrote it. He was inspired by like what drives a person of power to make the bad choices that they make. Um, and he was interested uh, because he found, he heard that Imelda Marcos had a disco ball installed in her palace and in her apartment in New York City. And he found that fascinating. And he kind of thought, wouldn't it be interesting to tell her life story through the lens of a disco? And the disco metaphor is used pretty much as if the, the country under their rule was having a big party, basically, and um, and and it's the metaphor is used very specifically in that uh, the revelers and the audience members who are standing and dancing with us 
um, they are part of the storytelling. They're part of the, they're part of the electorate that that elects them that elects Marcos, my character, president. They're part of the funeral march. They're part of everything. And so I think it's what's really exciting is that the show, the story is being told in a completely immersive way. And it's funny that when we used the word immersive ten years ago when we did it at the public, um, it was a very new thing. But now it seems like immersive is happening everywhere. Um, but uh, I play the president, uh, President Marcos, in that uh, starts as a president, ends as a dictator, and um, it's a fun show. It, but it's also a history lesson, and I think um, a lot of people uh, come for the disco and for the fun, and hopefully they leave with a little bit of an understanding of uh, that hangover that happens after uh, a party has gone a little too long. Well, it's funny because for many Americans, I think who who are not um history interested in history beyond their own i think obviously they knew about imelda marcos because she was known for having like more shoes than shoes. than most exactly. human right yeah. but but like the idea that you know the word dictator and shoes is sort of all people really knew um it is an incredible thing, sort of like the way Hamilton shares American history with people in such a unique way. Here Lies Love really does share Philippines history with with its audiences and in, in this incredibly, as you described, sort of the disco of it. I love that. I had no idea. I wanted to ask sort of what made the, the writers of this piece sort of center it in wow. that way. I want to talk a little bit about your own, you know, in researching and reading about you. Um, it's incredible how meta it is that you are doing this show. So if you would kindly share with my audience as much or as little as you care to share about your own history, where you were born, who lived in the home you were born in, um, and sort of how this story speaks so personally to you. Well, I was born in the Philippines. Uh, my mother is from the Manila area. My father's from the north. Uh, coincidentally, my father's from a very, very near the area that where Marcos was actually from in Ilocos. Um, so I was born in, in martial law in 1976. Um, my parents were very much the hot-headed activists, student activists of the time. Uh, you know, they they were in college 65 to 69. So they were at the height of the kind of like youth movement in the Philippines that was that rose to be the anti-Marcos movement. Uh, so when martial law was declared in 72, my sister and I were born right after that, 74 and 76. And it became very clear that uh, for particularly the middle class and the, the young students who were very vocal, um, it was the, not a safe place to be and not a great place to raise your kids. So um, there was a mass exodus from the Philippines from a lot of, of a lot of intellectuals, of a lot of people who were anti-Marcos. And um, my parents found their way to uh, first New York for a year. My first apartment as a young three-year-old was in Queens and Flushing. Uh, but then uh, my mom got a job in D.C., so I grew up in Northern Virginia. So um, this story for me, you know, uh, 10, uh, 13 years ago, I should say, I got the audition to, uh, well, here's the thing. I, 13 years ago, I was closing Wonderland on Broadway, and I heard, I caught wind of a new musical being produced at the public theater, a workshop um, about Amel DeMarcos. And that perked my interest. And then I then I heard that Alex Timbers was directing it, and it was written by David Byrne of Talking Heads fame. And like I wanted to work with Alex Timbers. I was a massive Talking Heads fan. And so I literally got my agent to say, please get me an audition for this. I want to go in for this. And um, 
from from the first day of rehearsal from that first workshop in 2011 um i i was very adamant and i said you know i i I'm, i come from anti marcos families um I, my parents were activists you know you've cast me to play this part <laughs> to play the president but i'm not going to be a part of something that's going to glorify them in any way um, or celebrate them um and it became very clear what the story was going to be and that they were not going to do that and they wanted to tell the whole story and have the culmination of the show be when the dictators were brought down and i think um, it made me really proud to be able to tell a very specifically personal story. Um, this show for me for the past 12 years, my involvement in it has been a very um, kind of cathartic experience for my family. Uh, it's, it's allowed us to talk about the trauma more. Um, it's allowed us to reach out to family and friends to talk about it more because I think that's the problem with trauma and particularly the Filipinos when it comes to martial law because Filipinos historically have been, uh, we're masters of, of, of kind of like moving on because we've been colonized by so many cultures. Um, we are the masters of assimilation, like move to America, leave your culture behind and become American. Martial law has been kind of left behind and not spoken about because it's been, it's, it was very traumatic for a lot of people. Um, but if we don't talk about it, uh, the mistakes of those, of that time period are gonna, will rear their ugly heads back. Uh, which is why it's so important to tell the story. Um, and I think it's been a beautifully uh, healing process for my family, uh, particularly for them. They, they came 10 years ago at the public numerous times. They were here for opening night uh, for Broadway. Um, and, you know, for my mom and dad to talk about their different experiences uh, during that time um, has been really healing. And and hopefully it's, it's, it's bringing the story to a lot of young not just Filipinos, but but young non-Filipinos to understand that the Philippines is more than just the shoes, you know. Um, and, and and specifically, David and Alex, our story is literally right before the shoes were discovered. <laughs> it's like we 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 tell the history of of Melda yeah. and Ninoy, and then the shoes were not discovered until they 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 left and everyone invaded the palace. So our story ends right at that moment. So there's a lot of um, it's funny. There's a lot of empathy in the storytelling as well, right? There's this idea of everyone was once a little kid yeah. and sort of had as their trauma mm -hmm. as a child end up influencing who they become as adults. Absolutely. What is it when you grow up a certain way and then have all this power and what do you do with it? And the idea that, you know, I assume this is going to be something the the creative team hopes to keep going that everyone in the cast will be someone from the Philippines or a Filipino descent. It, it is the most incredibly powerful thing to be in a room with a group of people who all share some common DNA, not just as artists, right, but their their history, whether it's directly the history that you share, which is, as I said, could not be more meta in terms yeah. of this is your family story to Absolutely. I'm sure cast members who don't have the exact same, either yeah. because of age or where they were born, um, don't have the exact same thing, but also to be in an audience filled with people from the Philippines and obviously people not from the Philippines, but just to have the privilege to be in an audience where this story is being told in in such a like sophisticated way. Um, and then also, as you described earlier, like this is 
one of the most fun shows any people can go see. That's what's so wild. You're seeing history unfold in its in its painful, truthful, sometimes comedic, sung by the most glorious voices, um, and acted by the most incredible uh, ensemble of people. And also, I need to shout out to David Corrins, the designer, who just oh, yeah. did something remarkable, and the projection designers, and the DJ. I mean, it, it's on and on and on. It is unlike anything. And the fact that you were able to describe it so well is such a <laughs> testament to how deeply you know this material. I want to ask you, because when you describe sort of growing up, you know, as a young person, having to escape martial law, having parents coming here. I don't know how big a community you guys had when they first came to Queens. Kind of who was here to greet you when you and your family came? And then who was the person really instrumental in helping you understand you're an artist and you have exceptional gifts and you must use them? So can you talk about all of that? Thank you. I think, you know, Filipino immigration has been happening for a while in the States, you know, particularly because uh, we, we touch on it in the show. Uh, you can't talk about Filipino history without talking about American involvement in Filipino history. Because when we were, we were colonized by the Spanish for 400 years, and when we gained independence from Spain, it was actually we were basically handed over from Spain to America basically like we were granted independence but the americans were kind of in charge still and so starting from the turn of the century in early 1900s through the world war through both world wars the philippines was a very advantageous place for the us to have a presence because it put them in the middle of asia put them next to you know particularly even after world war ii having the naval bases in the philippines was super strategic for them in terms of the cold war and also for vietnam later a couple decades later so Immigration has been happening for a long time in, in, in the US uh, with Filipinos here. So when we came in the late 70s, um, the f- easiest place to find community for us was in church, you know, because we are a Catholic country. And so um, when my mom and dad were looking for a place for us to go to church, uh, they asked around and found the, the largest Filipino population. And what church did they go to? We ended up going to that church, St. Bernadette's in Springfield, Virginia. and. Um, and from that community, we found a lot of friends and we that my parents, when the, the first house they bought in America was in a neighborhood with a dozen different Filipino families. So um, we had a community which was so great. We were so grateful for. And it was that community of Filipino Americans freshly immigrated from from the Philippines the same time we were that we were able to watch uh, all the news coming in from the Philippines because we moved in 79. And the the 80s was a tumultuous time in the Philippines. It was during the end of martial law and the Nino Aquino was assassinated in 83. So for my family to be surrounded by so many other Filipinos uh, while we were watching the news happening in the Philippines and and when when it came down, it it was a huge moment. And we kind of felt like that survivor syndrome where we weren't there experiencing it with them, unfortunately, where, you know, here we are in the, privileged luxury of living in America while our brothers and sisters are are, are marching against this dictator. Um, but I think uh, leading back to the Here, Here Lies Love, I think, and and what led me to the, the, the performing career, the, the running joke is that Filipinos are born with a karaoke mic in their hands. And uh, it's very true in my family. Um, my dad is a singer, uh, not a professional one, but he, you know, he, we all grew up singing karaoke and for family parties. And I think, um, 
I think we all found, you know, like I said, like Filipinos are, are, are masters at assimilation. I think we're also the masters of, of finding the, the bright side of things and, 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 and not, not, you know, wallowing in, in any kind of self-pity or self-doubt. So I think singing was always a way to get people together in the Philippines and, and here as immigrants. And I think um, you cannot overstate how important it was when Leia Salonga won that Tony Award for Miss Saigon. I think I, you can, every Filipino who works on Broadway today, including myself, can, 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 can say how much that right. meant. They track it. They can oh track God. it to that. Where happened, were was, you? Where were you when she won the Tony? I was a freshman in high school. Okay. You in, know, so it in was Virginia. In Virginia. And I was already singing and I was already doing a lot of theater. And it, it to see, you know, that like when we're talking about representation, you know, me being part of an entirely Filipino cast, when we see young Filipino kids, to see the specific representation of yourself. On, on stage and on camera and on television. Um, it's, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Um, and so when Leia won her Tony, I was at a very specific time in my young teenage life where I thought, oh, okay, and maybe I can do that too. And so um, my parents and I had a deal. I was gonna go to New York for two years, two years to, uh, to try my hand. And I went to college at Manhattan School of Music and I was gonna be a voice major. I turned a lot of engineering scholarships. My sister did the right, she, my sister did what your, the older sibling does. She went, and got, <laughs> she went and got her engineering scholarships. She went to Cooper Union. And thank then she, God, thank, thank God, God. yes. Full ride at Cooper Union, full ride at MIT. You can take sister. care of all of us, exactly. And so let, let me be the artist, which wow. is the Thank privilege you, of the younger sibling. Yes, yes. And then, I, and, and then I was lucky enough that my freshman year in college, Manhattan School of Music, they were having auditions for The King and I on Broadway um, in 96. And I went through a long audition process for that. And then lucky enough to start working with the amazing Donna Murphy. So I, um, I, I was very lucky. And, and I, I, Rodgers and Hammerstein was really... Uh, kind of my ticket into this world. Yeah. And I'll always be grateful for that. I'm actually reading Mary Rogers' um, autobiography right now, and it's fascinating. It is fascinating. I feel like, tell me if I'm wrong, but we were talking before we started recording because I told Donna you were coming on and she was yeah. like, you are in yeah. for a treat. And I am. Um, I feel like she told me she was like the reader in your audition or that you auditioned together. Y you tell me the story because you well, were yeah. there. Here's the thing. I, I was, you know, I was a 18 year old freshman, uh, you know, college freshman when I was being called in. And uh, I was so like, no one knew who I was. I, I was literally this college freshman. And I think Jay Bender, who was casting it, um, they said, you know, we found this kid. Like we found this kid. He's, he's a freshman in high school of music. And because they, they had, they did not think they were going to find someone that young, young, like the actual age. Cause I was the age they were looking for. They were looking for a teenager to play this part. And, um, I, I, they, because it was not equity, they, they you pretty much used me as a reader looking for a tub Tim, right? You were the reader. Okay. That's reader. right. That's right. So they kept, because they were like, we don't have to pay him. He's not union. So let's, let's keep like, let's not tell him he's got the job. <laughs> so like, I, I literally read with literally maybe 50 women who were going to, who were, they were looking for their tub Tim. And I remember thinking to myself that this happens to everybody. Like I, I'm, you know, but it, it was clear if had I known more that they were trying to pair me up with somebody. Um, and, uh, but it was, 
it was an extraordinary experience. And the fact that I was able to do my first, it was my first professional job, happened to be this big Broadway show. And to have mentors like Donna Murphy and Lou Diamond Phillips, who are such kind, talented role models for any young person, you know, um, it was it was extraordinary. And to this day, I, I look to Donna just for Donna's work ethic is one that I will always admire. Like that she does so much work before that first day of rehearsal that she comes with 19 options, you know, and 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 she's able to play because she's done the work. And that to me is such something I try to live up to. Like I I try to come to my first day of rehearsal with so much background and so many possible choices that I can just come and play. And that's what working with Donna was. Uh, it was just this, like, I just sat on the side and watched her work and being so green at the time. Um, and then beyond the, the work on stage, it was the work off stage. You know, I, I tell the story all the time because I, I try to do this as often as I can. Um, we had just recorded the cast album and had just gotten released, you know, and Lunta has two beautiful songs. It's kind of the best songs in the show, uh, The Young Lover. And uh, the day after the, the album was released, um, Donna and I make an entrance on stage right coming into the throne room. And, you know, at that point, I was still very intimidated by Donna Murphy. Like, you know, she's the star of our show. And um, out of the blue, she turns, she, I'm standing behind her. She turns around, she grabs my hand and she whispers, you're the, you're, you're the best thing on, your, your voice, something like your voice. You sound glorious on the album. It's the best thing on the album. Congratulations. You know, knowing it was my first cast album I'd ever, first anything I'd ever recorded. But that unsolicited kindness and, and praise from someone that I looked up to so much meant, I'm about to start crying. Like it meant so much to me, so much that I, I remembered it forever. And to this day, whenever I'm in a company with a younger person who maybe he's a little insecure, maybe just needs a little bit of a boost. Um, or if I'm ever in a company where I honestly think, wow, that person's doing a great job today, or that person sounded fantastic last night, I will make that, I will make an effort to go to that person and tell them that. Just to, by the way, you sounded great last night. You know, and if, when, if we all did that a little bit, we could just brighten up each other's days unsolicited and with, without any need for re reciprocation our industry would be so it would just because like that little bit of kindness yeah. um just went to i talk about it still 30 years later i still talk about it like that right. she just turned around and said you sounded glory you sound glorious on the cast album and right. i'm like oh you know and and, yes. so, and that's donna murphy like there's no artifice and it is completely um from her heart her generosity there's no self-consciousness about it like of course she would tell you that because it's true and the idea that it still remains um like this imprint on your heart in that Absolutely. way uh Absolutely. it's really incredible to have leaders of a company like yeah. that early on it just teaches us how it should be and that there's no need we all get scared we all get insecure we all have tough days um yeah. but to keep remembering that it's about community and and that is the thing that feels to me to bring it back to here lies love that is like one glorious ensemble that we are watching and the way the show is directed everyone I mean there are obviously the leads everyone gets a moment but the idea that just to bring it back when Leia Salonga comes out 
And it is such a surprise because you think, oh, she's going to be the star of the show. She's going to be in every scene. You know, she's really famous Mm -hmm. and really talented. And the fact that that she um, she is not on stage the entire show, but when she comes out, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that. Like, it's like. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a rock star. It's hard to it's hard to. And the, and the fact that they were able to harness, like the, the, the show's been, the, that, that, was, that song has been in the show for, for, since the beginning, since 10 years ago. Um, but the fact that our producers, our Filipino producers particularly too, realized that they had an opportunity, like that there's this one song in the show where the show turns, the show becomes about something else. Because up to that point, the show's about Imelda Marcos, right? Up to that point. And I think, the ability to harness the star power of our legendary Leia Salonga, who we you know unabashedly love and adore, but to not just use her talent, but her star power to signify that there is a there is a shift in this storytelling that we're going on right now tonight, and you need to pay up, you need to perk up your ears and listen to what she's singing in this song. Um, it's it's genius, you know, and and I and I have to give my producers credit for that, and and Alex Timbers. Um, because the show had the show that song had impact huge 10 years ago, but to have it be the star turn that it is now really adds weight to the shift in storytelling at that moment in the show. It's glorious. And I just felt like, you know, everyone, I mean, if you're, if you're not standing already, cause you're on the floor getting to be a part of the show, it's hard to sit down afterwards. I mean, it's, it's one of the most thrilling theatrical moments and she's just, just a beautiful, beautiful spirit to get to behold. Right. And, and she's our, she's one of our producers now too. So yeah. like, she's not here with us right now, but she's going to be back. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not really a secret that she's going to come back uh, uh, next, next year, like uh, before the Tonys. So it's, it's, uh, it's extraordinary to have her. I, I, we've, we've stayed friends since we did flower drum song together. Um, she went from being an older to, to my, my like idol to being my friend and co-star. And now now she's my, my sister. Like we're, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor every day to, to, to ever be even associated with Leia Salonga. Like I said, like I, my first experience with Leia Salonga was worshiping the ground she walks on and her album as a child, like she was like a, uh, this 10 year old with like a voice, you know, um, it, and it's a time, and I think, and to go back to what you were bringing, talking about, my, the cast, the Here Lies Love Company is filled with such an extraordinary number of kind, talented Filipinos. They, we've become such an instant family um, in a way that Filipinos, uh, they call me Kuya, which is older brother or older male cousin in the Philippines, and and, and Leia is Atelea, which is older sister. Um, but because we're all specifically Filipino, and when I say Filipino, Filipino-American, all of our families have very different stories of how we came to this country. You know, um, there are a handful of, of, of the people in the cast who are born and raised in the Philippines, who are native speakers, and they have only been in America for a year or two years or five years. And then there are those who are third generation, fourth generation Filipino, where they're they haven't been as immersed in the Filipino culture as some of some of the others. I'm kind of squarely in the middle where it's like, I grew up here, but my family is very, still very Filipino right. and he, yeah, lives there, you know? And so it's, um, 
but there's this instant family connection and we've only grown closer because of it. And the speed at which we became a family was a real testament to the fact that we were all Filipino. And I, we lucked out. The first week of rehearsal was in the first week of May and my birthday is May 5th. And I knew, and I kind of took the lead. I took, I took the, the, the lead from, from Donna Murphy, Linda Phillips. Like I knew I was going to be a cast leader in this company. I'm one of the older people in the company. I play the president, so I might as well take charge. Um, I, I took my birthday as an excuse to throw a little bit of a party. So I, I catered lunch for the whole company with Filipino food five days into rehearsal. Um, and it was such a great icebreaker for everybody. Like, and, and we, and we gorged ourselves on, on big, yeah. big sloppy lunch of Filipino food. Um, but I think it's, it's such a joy to come to work every day because I feel like we have purpose. Um, we're not just putting on a show. We're telling our history which is, is a, it's, 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 a, it's a profound thing to be able to say. Wow, yeah. And a lot of the young people it's, um, who are second and third generation Filipino-American, who um, it's, it's a really cathartic thing for them to be able to reconnect with necess- not something that wasn't necessarily part of their, their daily lives growing up here in America. Right, right. It's incredible. And, and I imagine, I mean, the the writers of your show are not from the Philippines. So I imagine there's also been a lot of um generosity on the on the on the cast part of right. sort of sharing stories and 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 I imagine David Byrne and and Alex and everyone really like trying to do due diligence um in terms of coming to the story with tremendous research and tremendous openness to what mm-hmm. you, you know when you described early on like at the public I want to do this because this is my family story but it can't be it, right. it has to it has to really speak to the the real journey Absolutely. um and that's where the big shift came from Broadway in that you know they've had a couple of goes at this already like we yeah. did productions of the public they had London they did the Seattle production the biggest shift I, and on every, by the way, all those different productions, there was that openness and, and collaboration of, they understood they wanted to respect. Right, right, the right. The biggest shift that came from those productions to the Broadway production is that the producing team changed. It went from being an all-American producing team to an American and Filipino producing team. Right, that so must feel wonderful. We look, we feel very protected, but we also yeah. know that the Filipino that decisions are being made from the very top about the marketing, about the st- what story we're telling, because there's ownership to it. There's ownership right. to what story that we're going to tell. And the, the people in leadership positions are so specifically invested in telling an accurate part of our story. Right. Let me ask you, and, and maybe there's many of them, but when you said you catered that lunch, like what are the best Filipino restaurants in New York <laughs> City? Where should we be going if we want to like have authentic, beautiful food? There's ton, but the way there's the, the mostly, unfortunately, mo- a lot of them are in Queens, you know, because that's because okay. So many, right? We'll but go to Queens. There's one in the, in the, in the theater district called Tradition, T-R-A-D-I-S-Y-O-N. And it's a small little restaurant, but it's, so good and it's okay. right on ninth avenue and 53rd street um there's a there's a couple downtown in the, in the east village um uh kasama is down there and so there's there's also a great philip it's not 100 percent filipino but it's filipino fusion and the chef leah is filipino okay. um pig and cow and also piggyback are her two are her two restaurants okay. and a lot of filipino food on those menus 
All right. All right. Um, how are you handling before I let you go? And you know, you have a little known fact to share coming up. So yeah. you can, you can take time in the back of your mind, pretend you're listening to me as you hey. figure out what it's going to be. Um, how are you taking care of yourself? Like the show, uh, this is like, this is not an easy show. This yeah. is full on physically and emotionally and vocally. How, how are you doing and how are you taking care of yourself? You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I have to say, uh, 10 years later, I take myself, take care of myself so much better now than I did because I'm 47. Mm-hmm. I think when we did this show 10 years ago when I was 37, um, I was still young enough to kind of be like, ah, oh, you know, let me go out and have drinks with, with my colleagues and this and that. Now it's like my husband and I are, are in our late 40s. Um, I'm really about taking care of myself now because yeah. I don't want to call out anytime. I have, I have yet to call out of a show, which is I'm very proud of. Um, but I get a lot of sleep. Um, I, I, um, and I, I try, I, I haven't really, I, I kind of, you know, like, you know, I'm a social person. You know, I like getting a couple of drinks here and there, but I have fully embraced the mocktail. Um, I am, uh, there's this brand called Phony Negroni, which is a, a fake Negroni that tastes just like a Negroni and, and it's fabulous. I, I buy them by the case. Right. You know, it's, about, it's about taking, it's about getting as much sleep as I can, um, staying healthy because it's a very physical show and I'm on stage with a bunch of 25 year olds. So I need to be as <laughs> And guess what? I didn't know you, you look just like them. You look really well, damn good you. in this show. Yeah. Thank you. But you know, but you, but like I say, you know, I did the King and I in 96 and I was 19 years old. So let's <laughs> we can do the math there. Right? There is math. Exactly. 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 So, um, wow. I, I try to take care of myself and thankfully my husband and I are at a point in our lives where we are no longer going out a lot and uh, and we can focus on doing our jobs and and having nice quiet nights in so is your husband an actor as well absolutely not oh, nope. okay he, okay too much crazy in one family we I think I think he is uh, very much the quiet he works in uh, real estate developing um, his name is Eric and we've been together we just celebrated our 18th anniversary oh my god Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Well, in in uh, the Jewish tradition, eighteen means high and life, and it's such a lucky, lucky, beautiful. Oh, thank you for there's that song. That. Yes, yes. In um, what is it? Fiddler to life, to life, lechayim. Exactly. That is the number eighteen. It has mystical meaning, and it has. You know, biblical meaning. So, hey, Mazel Tov, Jose, Lana, so and Eric, on your 18th well, anniversary. How beautiful. Okay. I know you don't have a matinee today, so I I feel like you can really, after we finish talking, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. But what is a little known fact about you that you can share? Well, uh, I I fashion myself a pretty decent cook. You know, my mom is my mom. She was a secretary for a very long time. And then when she retired, she pursued her her passion, which is cooking. And she got her chef certificate. She went to the Corner Blue Academy as as a 50 something. Uh, so cooking is very much in my family. My father's a good cook. My sister's a really good cook. My brother-in-law's a fantastic cook. Um, and I enjoy it. It's one of the things, you know, when, when they say, why do you cook? And so it calms me down. It, it, it like, and I, I'm obsessed with cooking shows. <laughs> Love it. And, um, and like home improvement shows. Cause I, it's, it's, I like seeing something be created and finished in, in, in a 20 minute time period. Yes. Um, like when I come home from, from, from work, and I have about a half an hour or 40 minutes of television in me, I'll watch like a cooking show and it just like zones me out. Um, but uh, I love to cook. I love to cook for my husband and me. And I, I love to cook most for like family gatherings. So it's more than eight or nine people. And 
holiday cooking is my favorite. Like, like I, I go all out, like a whole menu, 10 sides, big piece of meat, um, and lots of gravy. So, Oh my God, Jose. All right. Well, someday, um, I'm going to have a Jose Lana meal. I feel it. I'm manifesting that. With some Filipino food too. Yes. Delish. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, I get to tell you in person, I saw Here Lies Love and, um, it just has stayed with me so deeply. It's remarkable. You are so beautiful in this show and you are just so, um, like have such incredible ownership of a very complicated human and uh, you bring it to life in a way that is so deeply experienced by the audience. So thank you for your work, past, present, and future. And thank you for being on the podcast today. I'm so grateful. If you talk to her before I do, please give Donna a big virtual hug for me. I am calling her right now and I'm going <laughs> to tell her, like, I mean, I knew, I knew it would be bliss. Our last interaction, which she does all the time, I posted an anniversary photo of my husband and me, and she she's always one of the first people to comment on Instagram. It's like, oh, you beautiful souls. Happy Isn't happy. it the best? Isn't it the best? I know. We're so lucky. Well, have a beautiful day. Um, enjoy this run, this very long, beautiful run of an incredible show. Everyone go see Here Lies Love on Broadway, and uh, you'll really be glad you did. Thank you, Jose. Have the best day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Little known fact, now you can watch hours and hours of my interviews with your favorite artists as they talk about the art they love to make on YouTube. That's right. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Subscribe and enjoy. Little Known Fact, if you want to donate to the podcast, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Thank you so much in advance for your generosity. Have a great day. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details